We'd like to think that it doesn't happen here. With the uh, mass shooting that we had in Plano, one of the lessons learned is number one, uh, that we can't ever assume that that's gonna happen somewhere else. Domestic violence, yes, it happens in Plano. We meet the people and agencies tackling the problem. Our Plano character is pitching in too, along with other professional athletes. It was eye-opening. A lot of times if you're not touched by something or you don't know about something, uh, you don't even recognize it. And then when you see it, you become exposed to it. Um, you hear about the numbers and the, the statistics and how it affects families. It opens your eyes to that and you become more empathetic. For me, it was, um, it was a good thing being involved on that day. And we share how you can help by simply going shopping. Thanks to, to so many donors, we have great items there. What is that? Ooh, this is cool. It's fine. We didn't break anything. That's our tale of curiosity. Welcome to Plano Podcast, tales of curiosity and character. I'm your host, Tammy Hooker. And I'm producer Mary Jacobs. We're glad you found our little on-air hangout with stories from inside of Plano and just outside of what you might expect. First responding officer made it out here in really less than about two minutes. He arrived on scene, and upon his arrival, he heard gunshots. So that's when he knew he had to go ahead and, and make entry by himself. He saw people in the backyard down that were shot, so he instantly knew what was going on. And he confronted the, the suspect and ultimately shot the suspect and killed the suspect. Uh, once they did a search inside the residence to make sure there weren't any other suspects in there and also to check the welfare of those other parties that are inside, uh, he was able to determine there were nine gunshot victims total. Uh, seven of those gunshot victims were deceased, and two of them were transported to the hospital for medical treatment. The news rattled our community last September. Nine dead after Spencer Height barged into his estranged wife's home during a football party, killing Meredith Height and seven of their friends. It was the worst shooting in Plano history, but in one way, it was typical. Most homicides in Plano, and I'm going to say probably in Collin County, are domestic related. With the uh, mass shooting that we had in Plano, one of the lessons learned is, number one, uh, that we can't ever assume that that's going to happen somewhere else. It happened here. Family violence threatens more than 79,000 Texans each year, according to the Texas Council on Family Violence. In 2016, 146 women were killed by a male intimate partner in Texas. And even though we're an affluent, well-educated community, Plano's not immune. My name is Curtis Howard. I'm the senior legal advisor here at the Plano Police Department. I think there's always kind of been a joke that the Plano area and the Collin County area always live in a bubble. We don't have those problems that other areas of the country have, and that's just simply not true. I'm LaShawn Ross, and I'm on the board of directors for Hope's Door New Beginnings Center located in Plano and Garland. It's always interesting to me when I hear those types of characterizations in that people seem to think that socioeconomics, race, religion, those kinds of things determine who is involved in a domestic violence or family violence situation and who isn't. And that just simply is not the case. It is as present here as it is in other places, maybe in a different way, but it's here. The Height case involved a man committing physical violence against his wife. 
That's the most common pattern, but domestic violence takes many forms. Domestic violence has several uh, different types of way, ways that it shows up, whether it's financial or emotional or physical. And so the fact that we may live in a more affluent area where the uh, educational uh, expectations are much higher does not change the fact that it occurs. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words would never hurt me. But we all know better than that. And if the words are coming across every day, if when I leave work every day on my way home, I'm thinking about what's probably going to happen. I'm having to think about, oh my gosh, did I remember to pay that bill? Did I remember to get the clothes out? Did I do all of those things? What's going to happen? So it may not be that you ever see the scars on me, but emotionally, I am suffering. Curtis uses the term interpersonal violence to remind us many cases aren't limited to married couples and the victims aren't always female. Yeah, yeah I think it may be a broader term because, you know, we talk about interpersonal violence within because it, it can be, a, you know, a, 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 a child on a parent, a parent on a child, uh, you know, roommate. I mean, there's there's there becomes so many situations. So it's not necessarily just a domestic situation, which we think boyfriend, girlfriend, male, female, that sort of thing. Uh, domestic violence is one of those situations that cuts across all uh, socioeconomic classes, racial classes, and, and we deal with it uh, here. So we see a lot of domestic violence. Statistically, one in three women will experience family violence, uh, one in four men. So the numbers are really not that broad. And, and if we think about, again, the social norms and mores that we live with, the difficulty of a man coming forward and saying, oh my goodness, my wife is beating me, or my wife is withholding money from me, or my wife is emotionally tormenting me. It, again, if we talk about fit, that does not fit this definition of masculinity that we've put out into our society. So it's probably much more difficult and statistically, it is much more difficult for men to come forward or maybe even to be believed when they do. For Plano Police, domestic violence calls can be among the most dangerous. And officers always have to be extremely cautious in going out to these emotionally charged situations because what happens is, is when you've got emotions running high, uh, the police are called, they show up, they try and intervene, you never know what's gonna happen. And here's a complicating factor that makes fighting domestic violence a little tricky in Plano. Many victims don't want other people to know. One of the difficult dynamics we see with interpersonal violence is the fact that you've got a, a stigma attached. I mean, people are going to be embarrassed that their neighbors are going to find out that their uh, lifestyle or their relationship is not as as, uh, as Facebook uh, ready as, as some people believe, uh, and that actually that you know maybe it may not be going as well. And, and we don't like to think that people are going to look down on, on on how we're living our lives. Shame is a is a huge factor. Shame reputation, um, all of those kinds of things that then the person starts to feel like, what does this say about me? Not about the person who is abusing, but what does this say about me? So I will even try and protect my abuser because I just don't want that our family, our children, me, our church, my job, that can't be associated with me. It's shaming is huge. So many of us have worked to attain um, certain goals and, and, and lifestyles, if you will, and we 
don't want, first of all, to admit that we may be victims of this type of behavior going on in our homes. We don't want to be different than someone else appears that they are. We also many times don't want to upset the people who may be committing the the violence against us. We don't want to upset the lifestyles that they're providing for us. We don't want to embarrass them in front of other people. We ourselves don't want to be embarrassed. It does not fit this idea. When I say it, I mean this idea of family violence does not fit the lives that we have built in Plano. People are hesitant to call the police, hesitant to go out and, and get assistance uh, in, in these situations, uh, and especially here in Plano, because the way we, we, we put ourselves forward is, is, is very important. Another factor in the mix, culture. Plano has attracted people from many different parts of the world, each with its own culture each with its own blind spots towards family violence. Plano's about a 40% minority community right now. And so the fact that we have so many folks coming from other countries, they also bring issues within the, the household or domestic violence issues that uh, we have to deal with. And, and it brings its own set of problems coming in, trying to, uh, to handle folks that may not trust the police or have uh, various way, cultural ways of dealing with situations. So we're always trying to keep on top of that. The reasons for this sort of interpersonal violence or domestic violence are complex and, and many. And, and a lot of this may stem from the fact that a lot of folks who uh, engage in this sort of behavior grew up with it in the home. Uh, you see that. Uh, you may see drug and alcohol issues that are involved. Uh, you may see mental health issues that are involved. And then the everyday stressors of, of, of living in, in, the, uh, in today's society a, a, or combination of all of those. So there is not a single reason, but uh, probably a multitude of reasons that uh, this occurs. And sometimes it can just be that you're just a horrible person. They're just some of that uh, sociopath. And I guess, and also the power and control. You know, there's also going to be a power and control component to domestic violence and interpersonal violence. The good news, Plano has many resources to assist those who are ready to get help. From accessing police resources by simply calling 911 to Mosaic Family Services or Hope's Door New Beginnings, people are ready to offer help. Here's a little more about Hope's Door New Beginnings. Hope's Door New Beginnings Center seeks to help people to understand, first of all, when they are in a situation that could be detrimental to their health, to their lives, uh, could actually cost them their lives, and seeks to offer them new information, counseling, assistance, uh, job training, all those things that they might need to be able to redirect their lives and become more independent uh, in terms of their thought and in terms of their living. So it seeks to go in and assist people who may otherwise be in danger, provide emergency shelter. In fact, it provides emergency shelter for um, upwards of 60 families per month in their Garland and Plano locations. We also provide counseling for not only just the victims of family violence, but also for the people who are um, committing the violent acts against others that would come through our batterers intervention and prevention program. Some of that comes because people want to do better, and sometimes it's through our relationships with police departments and the DA's office. I think the thing that con- that surprised me then and continues to surprise me now is the amount of, for lack of a, 
of a better word, I'm going to use the word ignorance about the topic. And it's sort of like the same way that I feel about mental health. It's amazing to me how much in the dark many of us still are about what is going on in our very community and how our unwillingness to talk about it actually prevents us from doing more. And, and that continues to, to shock me and somewhat sadden me because we could do so much more and we could help so many more people if we would at least just admit that this doesn't make us a bad community. It doesn't make us bad people. It is just a factor of life that has to be dealt with. The Plano Police Department also is ready to help. We also have a crime victim advocacy unit here at the Plano Police Department, and we've got uh, two crime victim advocates that will contact victims, uh, uh, usually the next day, in an effort to make sure that they have the resources needed, uh, to make sure that if if uh, crisis intervention is needed, they provide that. They provide safety plans. They will assist them in getting uh, the emergency protective orders. They'll assist them in dealing with the, the district attorney's office to get additional protective orders as, as they need. In addition to that, we also have a mental health professional on staff, and her job is to really help those folks uh, that normally may have some mental health issues and are uh, constantly calling the police due to interpersonal violence that's going on. And so we can use her as a resource in an effort to try and intervene and provide whatever assistance needed in, in, in an effort to reduce our calls for service to some of these, these, these uh, victims who we go out time after time after time again. Hope Store adds one more important piece to the puzzle, prevention. One of the other things that we deal with at uh, Hope Store New Beginnings is we also provide a BIP program, which is a batter intervention prevention program. So in addition to providing resources and support for victims of interpersonal violence, we also provide counseling for those perpetrators of domestic violence in an effort to provide them the tools to reduce or eliminate, hopefully eliminate, any additional uh, violent tendencies they have. We want to make sure that we teach our children uh, what a healthy relationship involves. And I've got a daughter, and you know, we talk about this stuff all the time. We want to make sure that as she's growing up, she knows the difference between a healthy and unhealthy relationship. Not only daughters, but you gotta you gotta make sure that your your boys know how to treat other other people, women and, and men, in an effort to, make, to, uh, to to put a stop to domestic violence because it needs to end. Being in this profession for as long as I have, for almost 20 years, and I see the I see the damage that it caused. I see the, the, the women and the children and the families who've been torn apart uh, by this interpersonal violence. And to at least hopefully, number one, help those that are victims of violence get out of it and and have a, a very successful and happy life is extremely rewarding. And hopefully, and it's harder to see this, is, is, is hopefully we're doing things that will prevent it in the future. That's, that's very rewarding. What are some of the signs that abuse may be occurring? If someone is being isolated from family and friends, if you can't reach the person, or if you can't connect without going through the suspected abuser, those are indicators of a possible abusive relationship. If you're trying to help someone who may be the victim of family violence, 
Our experts offer this advice. When you see somebody that you may suspect that they're in a situation where there may be some sort of interpersonal violence or domestic violence situation, number one, don't judge. Uh, but number two, provide the support that they need. You have to understand that trying to get to a safe place is a process and it takes time. And sometimes they may start it and, and go back, kind of like you see people with drug and alcohol problems. Uh, they'll, they'll fall off the wagon, as we might say. Same sort of thing. Sometimes you'll see a lot of start and s- stop and starts before they, uh, they finally make the decision to break away. Uh, don't offer them an ultimatum. Uh, what you want to do is you want to provide support and resources in this process and and uh, hopefully at some point when they make the decision because the decision is theirs to make they will get out of it the importance is for us to pay attention when we know who people are and how they behave and then when that starts to change or they start to say things to us um, I think that we have to pay attention it's in the listening and then in not being too aggressive in terms of how we respond, but letting them know that we're there to hear and to assist and to drop those little um, pieces of information as we talked about earlier in terms of, well, if you want assistance, here are some things that, that could happen. If you need some place to go, this is what we could do. Remember, it's different if you suspect child abuse. In that case, you may be legally obligated to report it. But for domestic violence involving adults, here's some information you need to know. First thing to do is if there's an emergency situation, call 911 and get a police officer there as soon as possible. If it's not an emergency situation, you can always call our front desk number and they can put you in touch with our victim advocates who can provide those sorts of resources for you. If people need something now, they're not, they don't want to talk about anybody in the office. I need help and I need it now. Call 972-422-SAFE and that's 972-422-7233. Call those offices, get the assistance. You can also visit planopodcast.com and click on the episode resources for this episode for more information. We talked about the excellence of Plano earlier and and also our neighboring city, Garland. How do we manage things that we may not want them to be part of our community? The excellence comes in how we address them. We don't ignore them. We accept that this is a part of our humanity and this is what we're going to do about it. So we don't allow ourselves to be shamed into saying that, well, that just doesn't affect us. No, it does. But this is what we do about it. Reach out, and there are many people throughout the community and in, in all these uh, various nonprofits and, and agencies that deal with this situation. They'll be glad to help you. Ask, and you shall receive. Are you enjoying this episode of Plano Podcast? If so, you can join our growing list of patrons. Visit planopodcast.com and click on the support tab for more information. Now, back to the show. Before we introduce our Plano character, we'd like to bust a myth. The Super Bowl is coming up, and you may have heard that during the big game, there's an uptick in the incidence of domestic violence. Well, it's not true. We checked. There is no data to suggest a Super Bowl spike. But in a way, that makes the reality even worse. Domestic violence is a crisis for millions every single day. 
Now, let's meet our Plano character who found one way to become part of the solution. I'm Stephen Howard from Dallas, Texas. I'm an ESPN analyst, a former NBA player uh, with the Utah Jazz, Seattle Supersonics, San Antonio Spurs, and I also am a motivational speaker. Just have a lot of fun doing what I love to do. We asked him for his take on domestic violence and pro athletes. From an athlete perspective, it's false. One big thing that separates a professional athlete from a non-professional athlete, just the the notoriety and the fact that if uh, you know you get LeBron James gets a, a speeding ticket, that's on TMZ. Whereas you know the average person that you know might even, might even be the CEO of a company gets a speeding ticket, nobody will ever know. And so when uh, a former athlete gets involved in domestic violence. And I think the more widely reported or probably more notorious would be NFL. That's gonna be national news. Um, and also just because of the size and strength of an NFL guy and you, you think of him with a his, his spouse, um, our domestic partner that, you know, that's not going to be something that's going to be a fair match. Yeah, athletes are just like everyone else. They have problems, they have stress, they have good and bad times, but there is no domestic violence gene that links current and former athletes. You know, there's a problem in relationship. Majority of professional athletes, when they retire, they get divorced. They have money problems. There's a higher degree of stress. It's over 70% are bankrupt. Uh, divorced, you know, the first four years of them getting divorced because sometimes you meet, you know, your significant other while you're at the top of your game and then that ends. And unfortunately, um, there's a portion of people that get associated with you when you're a professional athlete for the wrong reason. And when that ends, the stress happens. And um, also, I think uh, you're home a lot, whereas when you're a professional athlete, you're gone a lot. You're gone on weekends, you're competing, and then you're done and you don't have anything to do and you're driving each other crazy. As a resident of Plano, Stephen got involved a few years ago in a Dallas area group called the Pro Players Foundation after pitching in on one of the foundation's projects, rebuilding a playground at the Hope's Door New Beginnings Shelter. They had a playground that the kids weren't able to utilize. And because of the nature of Hope's Door and the fact that it is top secret, but the one that they had was dilapidated and, and it had some um, rides that you really wouldn't want your kids on. Um, and so Pro Players Foundation with a, a $25,000 donation from the Dallas Stars Foundation, a donation of a playground set went out there and uh, really from A to Z went there one morning and just totally tore down and, and built back up this playground. And for me, it was one of the more amazing things that I've ever been a part of as far as community service because we walked in there and we saw the kids and they didn't know what was going on. And we tear down the playground and, and I mean, we're lifting up dirt, putting in the, the new floor. Then when they got to play on it, it was just amazing. Talking about kids that have been touched literally or figuratively with domestic violence and they've seen the worst part of humans and 
to see them to be able to forget that for an hour, 30 minutes was really just amazing. The Pro Players Foundation became one way Stephen gives back to the community, as well as a way to share a bond with other former players. We, you know, performed at the highest level at our sport that we love, but there's still that common bond and that connecting piece in like with the NBA. That's one of the smallest fraternities in the world. And, you know, people that have played in the NBA are in the top 1% of their industry. Same thing with the NFL. And so, you know, you get together in, in events and, you know, you swap the war stories and all those things. And it's just, it's really just a fun time. Steven successfully transitioned into his new career as an ESPN broadcaster and motivational speaker. But many athletes aren't as lucky. The NBA was the hardest thing, really was almost impossible to get into, um, but more difficult to get out of. Uh, because when you think of everything, like I, I retired when I was 37 years old and I needed a job. And fortunately for me, former academic All-American at DePaul University, I hadn't burned any bridges um, and I was able to get a basically a two-game tryout with ESPN so I could kind of further my career. But m most players aren't like that. And, you know, 37, 32, 36, whatever it is, you're trying to get a job. And what's the first thing they tell you when you get out of college? Well, you need experience. You know, I can give you a job, um, an internship or, or, or starting job. Well, when you're a former professional athlete, you don't have starter bills. You got significant bills. And so... Um, it's, it's, it's really difficult to transition out of that because you're almost mourning a death uh, because you've been doing that for, like I, I was playing basketball for 25 years, professional for 15. So it's, it's a difficult transition for a lot of guys to make. Father time is never lost. You know, he catches up to everybody. The more that you're set up for that, uh, the better. Uh, and that's one thing that athletes don't like to think about because you're kind of like a gladiator. And if you think about your mortality, then, you know, that's going to be your last fight. So it's a it's a difficult process for athletes. Every year, DePaul University, where I went to school, they bring me back to speak to all the incoming freshmen and transfers. And I mentor them as far as brand management, um, talking to them about really the significance and impact of their time in college and how, you know, basically that four years got me a job 20 years later with ESPN, um, you know, being the only academic All-American at DePaul University was really that one defining thing for me that separated me from other former professional athletes. Uh, and so a lot of times people go into college or any type of scenarios without a plan. And I went into uh, my college experience with a plan, wanting to get something out of it. And, you know, it really helps me professionally you know, year after year, it's that gift that keeps on giving for me. And so I, I try to help college student athletes and, and former players, our, our current players, really navigate those waters of, you know, what they're going to, through as a professional, but also setting themselves up. He shared with us how that day at the Hope Store New Beginning Shelter impacted him. It was eye-opening. If you're not touched by something or you don't know about something, uh, you don't even recognize it. And then when you see it, you become exposed to it. You hear about the numbers and the, the statistics and how it affects families. It opens your eyes to that and you become more empathetic. For me, it was, um, it was a good thing being involved on that day.
Yeah, if you want to get in contact with Pro Players Foundation, we do a, a great job of bringing things and people together in the community to, to make some good and to put some smiles on people's faces that, you know, might not always have that smile. So it's a, it's a passion of mine and a passion of a lot of people, and they really do some great things. For all the great things he's doing to inspire others, to mentor youth and help those in need, we salute Stephen Howard, this episode's Plano character. Here's a way you can help fight domestic violence in Plano, and it's fun. Our Plano podcast curiosity this month is Hope Store New Beginnings Resale Store in Plano on Parker Road. It's on the northwest corner of Parker and Custer, right across the street from Home Depot. Everything in the store has been donated by area residents. Clients of Hope Store can use vouchers to get what they need to start their own new beginning from the resale store. Whether it's an outfit for a job interview, toys for the kids, or items to furnish a loving home. The rest is sold to the public and proceeds benefit the programs and services at Hope Store New Beginning Center. You can support Hope Store by shopping there or donating items. Bring them to the store or schedule a pickup. We stop by to get the story. Ooh, this is cool. Hope Store would love to receive your gently used clothing, shoes, household items, holiday decorations, furniture, children's books, and DVDs. The store does not accept used mattresses, televisions, or anything that's been recalled. More furniture. Furniture's always awesome. And they need new items as well. Brand new, like, underwear, socks, uh, like, uh, razors, toothbrushes, toothpaste, all that kind of stuff. Be sure to stop by and browse because you never know what you'll find there. We spotted a purple chenille easy chair, a row of red children's rain boots, a set of furniture knobs that look like pool cue balls, and a lot of beautiful furniture and clothing in great condition. If you like teapots, if you're looking for teapots, if you collect teapots, come to Hope Store. You got so, kids that are about to graduate college mm -hmm. and they need to furnish their homes. Perfect. This is a pretty good spot to do Perfect. that. Perfect. Thank you guys for coming in today. Thank you. So it's Sunday, you're open till 6. Yeah, 12 to 6. I mean, 10 to 6 every other day except Sunday. Thanks to, to so many donors, we have great items there. We've reached the end of another edition of Plano Podcast tales of curiosity and character. We hope you've enjoyed today's topics and discussion. Remember to support us on Patreon and to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Send your feedback, ideas, and comments our way. Thanks for listening and subscribing. We'll be waiting for you at our back corner booth. Until next time.